they say location, location, location in real estate. And that is very important. And it's especially important with multifamily because the way I look at it, you want to attract good tenants, right? Welcome to the House Hacking Success Podcast, where you'll learn the path to free rent and financial freedom through real estate. Featuring your hosts, Brad Labrie and Drew Klingler. Hey, everyone. Real quick before we start the show, Brad wrote an amazing ebook that will teach you everything you need to know about house hacking and living rent free. To get a free copy, text house hack, all one word, to 22828. That's house hack, all one word, to 22828 to get your free copy. Welcome to the show, Zach. We're happy you're here. Glad to be on, guys. Thanks, man. Uh, tell us about your early life, getting in the environmental field, and what led you to real estate. Yeah, so I went to a, um, I went to a school in Massachusetts for college. I studied uh, environmental science. Um, I'm 27 now. I live in southeastern Massachusetts in a town called uh, Mattapoisett. It's right in Buzzards Bay area. Um, so I, I went for four years, environmental science, and um, when I got out, started working for this consulting firm and I worked there for three years and what I found is um putting in this time and I'm not really learning anything I'm not um, enjoying it too much there's not really much work for me to do and I'm not having that level of fulfillment um found myself in the in my office cubicle like you know twiddling my thumbs trying to what can I do for work like going around and I'm a highly self-motivated person I'd, I'd be sound like I didn't want no work to do. So I'd be going around the project manager's offices asking, hey, what can I do to help? Is there any, any work I can do? And no one really had much. Um, so I was gut worried that of my level of job security, um, not having work, they could, I mean, I could be let go. I don't have any income coming in if I lose that job. So I started building my resume and looking for other jobs. And I found this opportunity with a startup firm, ended up getting that position. That position had a ton of travel involved. And I saw it as an opportunity to get ahead. My salary went from $38,000 a year to 85 with a ton of travel. So it allowed me to save quite a bit, but I was gone week after week, month after month, finding myself in this continuous cycle of living for the weekend. I mean, I'm saving this money. I have no, like, I have no time. I don't have time to spend with my loved ones. Um, no time to do anything really besides Saturday and then Sunday was spent doing my laundry, getting ready for the next week of travel. So I started searching for answers. I mean, I was spending my time in these planes, like watching movies, playing a game on my phone, just spending that time not very wisely. Like, how can I better this time? How can I maximize my efficiency on these flights to really better myself and get ahead? So I started listening to um, podcasts, reading books. Um, that led to Millionaire Next Door, which started talking, um, well, so to backtrack a little bit, I started looking at uh, like wealth building books. What, what, what can I start reading to get ahead? And it's funny, like, uh, um, these two books that was, were highly recommended were The uh, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, and The Millionaire Next Door. So after reading the reviews, Millionaire, um, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, it was saying, uh, oh, it's, it's mostly a real estate book. I was like, real estate? I can't, uh, how can I do that? I don't have any time. I don't have any money. How can I, uh, how can I dive into real estate right now? So 
So I went with The Millionaire Next Door, and I started picking, reading that one. And uh, they touched upon real estate many times throughout that book. So that's when it sparked my interest more and more. I was like, all right, what is this real estate thing? It sounds like I got to start learning about this. Went on the podcast, typed in uh, real estate, and you know, uh, like bigger pockets pops up. So I became obsessed. Like that's what I was listening to day in and day out. Like my travel didn't just involve on flights. I had to do a lot of driving too when I got, when I landed. Like we had many, many flights across the region, across the country. So I, I did a lot of flying and a lot of driving. So a lot of that time was spending the reading, listening to podcasts, and that, um, and I started that desire to want to learn more and more. That desire eventually led to like burning desire. Like I need to fill myself for this, which eventually led to this is a necessity. I need to start learning this real estate thing. How can I immerse myself in it and learn as much as I possibly can? And it's kind of interesting, like those two concepts, the book, The Millionaire Next Door and Rich Dad, Poor Dad, are almost totally polar opposites. Uh, in a sense. And yet, if you merge the two concepts together, you get kind of like what you're doing, like you were able to save at a high level, which allowed you mm -hmm. to have the down payment. We'll talk about a little bit the, the down payment situation that you had, right? Exactly. But but without the merger of the two, sometimes people get lost on one side or the other, and they never actually fulfill uh, what they actually set out to do. Yeah. So like it, start, it started with that desire to want to learn more. And as I started, what I found is as I started teaching myself more and more about it, that desire turns into, do I actually want this? Do I actually want to dive into this? Because I, was, I wasn't really applying what I was learning. I was doing all this learning, but not actually taking the action to make it happen, take the next actionable steps to let's, let's do it. So that desire eventually led into a necessity where I need to, I need to make this happen. So every, I mean, since I was traveling, I didn't really have the, the time to look at properties when I got home. So my weekends that when I got back, I just started looking at as many properties as I possibly can. I met with um, some local real estate investors to network and, and learn more. And what they had told me is to see is start seeing as many properties as you can, um, 75 to a hundred and you'll start to really understand what things cost, what you want to look for in your local market and where you want to buy. So I applied that. And as I started to see, because when I first started looking, I couldn't tell the difference between a 10-year roof and a brand new roof. I'm not, I wasn't very handy. I didn't know what things cost fixed up. I didn't know what a good price was in my area. So what I found is as I started seeing as many as I could, I narrowed down my region where I was looking because I started at a wide, kind of a wide um, market, many areas, many, uh, many towns. And that kind of, as I saw more and more properties that narrowed down where I really want to look and where I want to hone in to maximize my time on the weekends, you know. Tell us about your first house hack. How did you find it? How did you fund it? You talked about looking at about 100 properties. Like, how, how did you find this one and pick this one? Yeah, so the way I found this one, like you said, I had seen roughly between 75 and 100 properties. Kind of lost track after the first 30 or so. Um, so that what that allowed me to do is I really started to hone in on my locations or what some people consider your farm area. Um, so I started on a, in a wide region, narrow it down to, okay, these are the spots where I really want to focus on. Uh, this is where I like to buy. And seeing multi um, dozens and dozens of properties, it, it also taught me where I didn't want to buy and what types of properties I wanted to avoid and what, uh, what rehab costs 
will be. Um, also, tell me, okay, what, this property is three hundred thousand. This property is two hundred thousand. Why is that? Why is there such a big difference here? And seeing as many as I did, it taught me just that. With the travel, I wasn't able to look at properties right when they came on the market. I could only see them on the weekends, and I mean, they were going pretty quick. So I was in Louisiana at the time of this. That this one that I ended up buying hit the market. It's about midnight, and it just came on. I was like, "This is this is the one I need to get." It just just clicked. It was in the area that I really wanted to get in, so I, I knew it was in a good spot. And the reason why, I mean, they say location, location, location in real estate, and that is very important, and it's especially important with multifamily because the way I look at it, you want to attract good tenants, right? So I consider myself a good tenant. I pay on time. I'm respectful to the landlord and I respect the property. So I want to buy in a location that someone like me would want to live in. Mm -hmm. So this one was in an area that I would live in. It came at a good price point. And since I had seen so many properties, I knew what a good price point was. And I was looking through the photos like, all right, this doesn't look that bad. It it looks mostly cosmetic. There's ugly rugs. There's um, nasty wallpaper. There's coloring on the walls. The only thing that was up with this one is they only had photos of two of the units. So I knew something was not right with the second floor unit. Mm-hmm. Um, so I put in a full price offer. The the the, um, the asking price wasn't that that wasn't bad. It was um, actually they're asking uh, 225 for it. So I put in an offer at 225 when I was in Louisiana. I was nervous because I'm putting in an offer on something that I haven't even seen. And I don't even ha- I'm new to this. I don't have a property yet. Like, what are you doing? You're putting and it, it off- shows <laughs> it shows how much you trusted yourself and your numbers and the time you spent looking at other properties. Right. And don't get me wrong. I was nervous. This, this wasn't a quick decision. Like, um, yeah, let's do it. Let's put an offer. I was I was at work. Um, I was pacing back and forth. I was supposed to be focusing on the job, but I just couldn't. I was on the phone with my realtor. I didn't have my license at the time. And yeah, she kind of talked me through that. Your your way out is the inspection. If something pops up, even a little thing that you don't like, that um, scares you, or um, something unexpected, you can back out. You don't. You're not trapped into this 225 offer. And you can always renegotiate after that. And that's exactly what I did. And I put in that offer. I found out it got accepted that night. Um, I was, at, I was at a restaurant down in uh, Monroe, Louisiana, and um, yeah, that was my first offer that was accepted, and it was it was very exciting, but nerve-wracking at the same time. It's just because now I actually have this offer accepted on a site unseen. What's the next step? Uh, the inspection. So yeah, we we have the inspection. I mean, nothing. There wasn't anything crazy with it. It was um, pretty. The structure was good structure. The the mechanics were there. Um, the roof was about 10, 10 years old, so at about a little under its, its half life. Um, electric had been up, updated. Um, plumbing had been updated. So it was exactly what I've been looking for. Through reading through my real estate books and um, listening to the Bigger Pockets and other other um, podcasts, I taught, I I learned that, you, that I want to I wanted to find a property that mechanics were sound. So the big ticket items like the roof, plumbing, electrical, um, and the heating system, and to look for where you can add value through 
cosmetic updates. Like I said, there was a lot of, the rugs were nasty, uh, needed to be painted, um, new cabinets, things like that, nothing, nothing major. And um, I was able to knock it down the price by about $15,000 after the inspection because the inspector found um, that the bathroom floors were soft. So he was kind of worried that there was rot under there and the sellers heard that. And I think that scared them a bit. It ended up being just about, the first, it, there was a lot of rot under there, a little over a grand to fix it up. But I think that startled them a bit. So yeah. we were able to leverage that as a negotiation tool. And that's a, that's a great point. You know, like uh, with the contingencies that you talk about going into properties, um, you know, you have the ability to renegotiate. And a lot of people don't really understand that. Uh, you know, there's a there's a client right now that's, that's buying a uh, duplex out by me, right? And he's in that period where he's now ne- renegotiating, right? They found some things, they found termites, right? You have that ability to renegotiate. Um, and so transition a little bit and talk to us about like right when you're, you know, you're, you got past the uh, inspection period, uh, you're supposed to put 3.5% down if I remember correctly. Uh, and your underwriters told you, you had the ability to switch out. Tell us about that and what you learned from that whole process. Yeah. The original plan was to put the 5% down, which was going to be around $14,000, I believe. And I was getting to that. It was um, at the same time of around closing. I was getting to that breaking point where with a job where I just couldn't handle the travel anymore. And this company had reached out to me with an opportunity to work locally. So I reached out to my, my lender and I asked them, will we have any issues with the closing if I were to switch jobs right now? But, and the two questions he asked me were, are you going to be in the same field and for a similar pay? And both of those questions hit the checkbox. Like the pay was similar. I was in the same field, but what I didn't know and what he didn't ask me was if it was a full-time job or not, because it was a contract job. And I being new, I didn't know that this was a red flag on the lending side. And you always hear, don't change your job before closing. I, and I knew that. And I still learned the hard way. Um, where I made my mistake was that I had asked him the same question three times. I asked him, are you, I called the same guy up. Are you sure that this is okay? Can I, I can switch my job before closing. He's like, I'm pretty confident. Let me check with the underwriter on Monday. Calls me on Monday. Yes, Zach, you're in the clear. I checked with the underwriter. You can change your job. I'm like, yes, I can get out of the travel. I can still close on this property with 5% down. Things are looking good. Uh, And then it kind of plummeted. Uh, later in the week, I found out um, that they could not do the 5% down because of that um, the contract job. It's not full-time. So I had to bring 20%. So I just went from around $14,000 down to $45,000 down on this property. Um, so huge jump. And $45,000 was about what I had saved cash ready to go in my bank account, which was allotted for the down payment, my repair costs, and my saving up for my next property. So that kind of put me at a halt. What am I going to do now? Uh, Luckily, I've always been a good saver. That's something my dad had always taught me growing up is to live below your means and save, save, save. I was still able to close on the property. Um, I've always, my parents have always been so supportive of what I want to do. So they were able to lend me some cash. And I also took money out of my 401k account to just kind of work as a loan to myself, 
which I'm I have to pay back. But I was able to get me that into that property and still have my reserves that I need because I know forty five thousand dollars was enough to close on it, but it was not enough for my rehab, which I had um, budgeted another fifteen twenty thousand dollars for the rehab, which wouldn't have been there unless I had been so good at saving and putting money aside. But I when I like I said, I've always been good at saving, but I never knew what I was saving for. What am I saving for until I found this house hacking strategy? And I was like, this, this is it. This is what I've been saving for, and this is what I have to do. So I'm uh, thankful I was still able to make it happen. Awesome. Uh, so like, what, what have you learned from this deal, putting tenants in, things like that? Like, What did you learn? I learned the importance of being like preparedness, having that money, having the reserves on the side in case things go south because they will there i mean you will face challenges you will face disappointments along the way but as long as you persist and keep taking actual steps forward you'll be able to make it happen i also learned the importance of being in a good location too because so going through the rehab uh, in the second floor apartment so it's a three family right the one that i bought i inherited a third floor tenant the second floor i had evicted before closing um, I never met these people, but I saw that the, the way that they were living, they were, um, everyone, the first time going in to the, the second floor, I saw that, uh, so every square foot of that apartment was a bed besides the bathroom and the kitchen, just beds everywhere and two full-size refrigerators and in every closet, a mini refrigerator. So I was like, how many people are living in this one apartment? So we had them gone before closing and I was going to occupy the first floor so after fixing up the second floor it took um we did a we did um like vinyl plank flooring and painted the walls um painted the cabinets new light fixtures things like that and so the importance of the location we were able to find a tenant within a week like i had hundreds of people reaching out to me about this apartment. Awesome. So uh, tell us about, you did a lot of off-market uh, marketing, right? To properties that are off-market. You did some handwritten letters. Talk about that process and, and some of your success with getting some return letters. So through my search for the first property, it was uh, discouraging at times. I was looking at a lot of properties online and seeing a lot on my weekends. Price, I mean, prices were going up, up, and up. And the numbers just were not working out in my favor. So I had pretty much given up on the MLS. And um, I would, I've been going to a lot of real estate investors meetups and they talk about um, direct mail marketing, um, using list source to filter through criteria, things like that. So um, one of my, um, one of the guys that I met, I consider him a mentor. He, I present him with what I wanted to send out my criteria, like certain people that had certain equity in a building, how long they've lived there, um, it's vacant, things like that. And he was like, you know, Zach, that's a, that's a good idea. It's good that you're uh, taking steps to doing direct mail marketing. But what about this? What if you mailed to people who are going through evictions? What if you mailed to those types of owners? And that kind of clicked. It started to get me thinking, like, now that's a motivated seller. That's not yeah. something I had been thinking about. It got my mind thinking, all right, wh what other ideas are out there that I'm not thinking about. So I started doing that. I started writing handwritten letters to people going through evictions. So the way you do that is um, in Massachusetts anyways, there's the mass court site and you can go on and 
see all the eviction cases, it takes a bit more work because you have to filter through who the plaintiff is and figure out who the owner is and then go on the assessor's page and find their actual mailing address. So I was putting in a lot of time. Um, the way, and this actually really helped me hone in on my location where I wanted to buy too, because it allowed me to understand where the evictions are happening. So you want, I wanted to avoid those spots. So I wanted to find a property where the landlord is going through an eviction and it's in a good location. And the reason why that is because I see that as a landlord who's not very good at managing their properties. They're in a good location. You shouldn't be going through an eviction um, or, I mean, it's less likely that you will be. Anyone who's going through eviction, find them, find that property on Google Maps. And if it's in a good spot, all right, I'm mailing them. And that's what I did. I just started writing handwritten letters. I set target to write 20 a day. That way, by the time the weekend came, I would have about 100 to send out. And it, I didn't end up getting my first property that way, but it taught me a lot, um, allowing me to practice that dialogue uh, with potential motivated sellers. So I should, my first round, I, um, there was this one property that was a 10 unit. And I was like, out of all the letters, I want this, I want this one to answer me. And I remember um, just being at the job site in, uh, and I got this call from a number. I didn't really think it was going to be one of my callers. And uh, I pick up and say, like, hey, this is, uh, hey, Zach, this is Maurice. Who, who's that? Who, who's Maurice? Um, he's like, you, you mailed me. I, uh, I own the, a 10 unit property in the bedroom. My heart just dropped. I was, uh, I got, I didn't know what to say. I was so nervous because this is the one I wanted to respond. I, I, I didn't know how to respond to this guy. So I was just stumbling through my words, but, um, I was able to collect myself and, and, uh, talk to him about the property and, uh, gather the information I needed and ended up signing an appointment to go view it. I had, I've never, I mean, most of the properties I've been seeing were two, three, four unit buildings. So to see a 10 unit and get that experience, it was uh, eye-opening. And I was like, this, uh, it, it taught me that this process actually works. Like I was, my, my response rate was between 10 and 20% with the handwritten letters. And um, yeah, and every letter I wrote was the best letter I was sending out. It was every with every line, it was going to be the best letter, no matter what. Um, and yeah, with that job that I was traveling, I didn't, I didn't have much time for this. I was studying for my, my realtor's exam. I was looking for my first property. So I would be working long hours. I'd been, I'd be getting back to my hotel rooms by eight or nine o'clock after squeezing in a, a quick, a quick workout at the fitness room. And um, Tran transitioning I, in, into that, like becoming an agent, um, mm -hmm. What, what has that process, like, has it given you a new perspective? Uh, being an agent, you know, being an investor is one thing, but then dealing with uh, different, you know, clients and seeing it from a different world where you're contractually looking at real estate and there's unique situations, you got to get things to closing, you got last minute situations with credit or whatever. Talk to being an agent and like the new perspective that has given you. Right. Yeah. So being an agent has taught me that not that everyone has different goals in real estate. Not everyone wants to be an investor. Not everyone wants to build a portfolio of rental properties. Um, some people don't want to deal with tenants. Most people don't actually. So it got me, it was enlightening because it, uh, what other strategies are there where people can save money without owning um, a multifamily property? Um, so it got me thinking and like there's, everyone has different goals so you have to kind of hone 
figure out what they want and help them find that property, whichever goal that whatever they're looking for, whatever property they're looking for, that's what I'm going to help them do and help them accomplish those the goals that they have. Cool. You got a really impressive story so far. I mean, a lot of due diligence, looking at 75 to 100 properties uh, to find that first house hack, sending out 100 letters a week. Uh, could you speak a little bit to your battle within yourself and when you're at your old career? when you knew you weren't reaching your potential and uh, mm-hmm. what would you tell someone in a similar position today? Someone in a similar situation as me. So what I found myself was um, like a lack of fulfillment. I'm putting in all this effort, this, all this time, this, this hard work into something that isn't bringing me a full sense of fulfillment. Um, and I need to do, do something to change that. So what I would say to someone going through that, that same situation is do what you can with what you have. And if you have just a little, do just a little, but keep taking actual steps to move forward. You know, a lot of people, they underestimate what they can do in a month. I mean, they overestimate what they can do in a month, but underestimate what they can accomplish in, say, a year, five years, ten years. Um, so I listen to a lot of motivational videos. I really like Jim Rohn and, and Les Brown. Um, and something Jim Rohn had said is that you need to discover that you're not a goose, right? So what that means is, so the goose flies south every winter. Why? Because it's a goose. You could tell it to go north. You could tell it to go west. You could give it reasons why going west is better this year. Um, but it's not going to listen because it only knows one thing, and that's to fly south. Um, but human beings are different. You can change the trajectory of your life. And it may not, it's not going to happen in a day. It's not going to happen in a week. But just keep taking actual steps forward every day, just daily disciplines to move forward and change, make a change in your life if you're not happy where you're at. So what I did is I, so I was making really, I was making good money at that job, but I didn't have the time um, to enjoy life, you know? And so what this, this house hack actually allowed me to do was to step down from that, that job, step down from a high, higher paying job and get something that's a little less paying, a little a little less of a salary, but opens up my free time. So now I can pursue those passions. I can pursue what I want to do in life. And um, what I think a lot of people do and through my travels, um, through my experiences, meeting these people at airports is um, a lot of people get trapped. A lot of people get trapped in something because financial reasons. Um, they have this, they have a mortgage um, or, or they're paying rent. And this job that they have kind of traps them because if they pay them just enough to continue that cycle, right? Um, and they don't have the courage to step down from that job because they have these bills they need to pay. They don't stop that job and actually pursue what they want to do. Um, mm-hmm. So house hacking can actually allow you to do that because it can minimize your can minimize the one of your biggest payments. So people's biggest um, financial burdens are their mortgage, their or their rent, and a car payment. Mm-hmm. So house hacking allows you to either wipe that out completely and instead of paying, say, $1,000 a month in rent, you can be living for for free or and maybe for, even earning some money each for, month. And for most people, those two things make up over 50% of their budget every month. Right. right. 
uh, just uh, just a car payment and just the mortgage payment or, or rent. And, uh, mm-hmm. you know, and that's the power of house hacking. So like combined, I mean, that's a great point. People really do overestimate what they do in you know a month or a year, but they underestimate what they can do in a decade. Um, so like to that mm-hmm. point, like what separates potential house hackers, like people that like that idea, the fact mm-hmm. that, you know, they can eliminate that from people that actually do it like yourself. What separates people from actually house hacking, I believe is the fear um, the opinions of others and the what ifs. So what if you have to go through an eviction? What if the roof collapses? What if your property catches on fire? Like all these things that may not actually happen. Um, and all these what ifs. I, so I might as well not even try. I might as well not, right. not even look into it because of what could happen. Well, you know, you have to think, what if I don't do it? Because that's, that's a fear too. Being trapped in a in a position where you you're not you're not happy or you're not feeling fulfilled you're not um you're not actually taking steps to improve your situation like people a lot of people face challenges in life and it's the way that you handle those challenges um, and everyone starts at different points everyone starts at different positions in life and faces different challenges but it's it's how you get through those and I know like my my challenge was the travel um, not being around the people I love and what it really taught me is that like how precious time is because even though I wouldn't be traveling my whole life, but it got me to realize that this is what working for someone forever is like, like my time is not spent like working for me, you know, like Mm -hmm. a lot of people put in more effort into their actual jobs than they do themselves, building themselves and teaching themselves new things to allow them to pursue their dreams and passions. Absolutely. That's a great point. I mean, House hacking can be an exit strategy to an unfulfilling job, an unfulfilling life. And it's the first step into living a fulfilling life, which you've been able to accomplish now. You left a job that you weren't super passionate about and you're able to pursue more passionate stuff. And you took that pay cut to be able to do that. Mm -hmm. And now you have that asset that you speak of as time. Um, So we talk about books a lot on the show. Uh, Brad and myself love to read. Could you tell us one of your favorite business or mindset books? I'd say my favorite favorite, uh, mindset book or business book is the uh, the millionaire next door because that one that one kind of got that got me into it that opened yeah. my mind to because i had always been they talk about living under your mean living below your means in that book and i've always i've always been good at that um but i didn't know why why am i doing this um why am i saving this money and yeah. they would they touched upon real estate and it just opened my mind to um this option the option of real estate and to look into it more. Um, so it's, it's kind of snow. It was, it, it, st- it was the start of the snowball effect for me. It got me into reading other books. It, it, it got me into listening to podcasts and which led to, which led to listening to bigger pockets and just taking action on what they actually tell you to do. Um, that's the most important thing with the books that you read and the podcasts you listen to or any information you get from people doing what you want to do is actually listening to what they have to say and taking action on what they say. You can take in all the information and it doesn't do any good if you don't do anything with it. It allowed me to get started. So, Absolutely. But I listen. So I mentioned that I listened to um, Jim Rohn and uh, Les Brown. That's, that's where I get a lot of my motivation from are you like YouTube videos from those guys. Uh, Les Brown talks about a lot about the, the possibility of living your dreams while Jim Rohn talks about some, a similar similar concept, but more of a philosophical approach, like the mindset people and why they, why um, 
people succeed and why others don't, why people face their challenges or why people are crippled by their challenges. Absolutely. Absolutely. So what, what, uh, what about real estate book? Like what, what book taught you the most about real estate or which one do you relate to most? My favorite real estate book is um, the book on managing your rental properties by Brandon and Heather Turner. So the reason why that one is it taught me a lot about um, just how to screen tenants. Um, I got you, you get so many inquiries from people about the apartment, especially after it's fixed up and looks nice mm-hmm. and shiny. Mm-hmm. What do I do now? What, what, what do I do to fill this? Because you, you've taken all the steps to get there, right? You've got the property. You've fixed it up. Now what? How do I, how do I properly screen these people to get the right person in there so they don't destroy right. the asset that I've been working on and building? So that book taught me um, how important it is to, for the, to the screening process. So, and I applied what I learned in that, which is, um, so I set a... Um, a list of minimum qualification standards, and uh, and I stick to those with every every person that applies or inquires about the property. I do a um, a pre-screening phone questionnaire, and weed people out that way. Um, and from there, I will show them the property. And if if things check out and they're within my standards, then I go forward and and allow them to um, go through a criminal and background check. It's funny the. Uh, so the day, the first day, I, night, I posted the property for rent. The first, very first call I got was from this girl who, who uh, calls, and her one question to me was, "So if someone were to move in with bed bugs, would you exterminate the apartment or the entire building?" So I'm thinking, uh, well, this property is uh, completely renovated; yeah. it's brand new. So if someone were to move in with bed bugs, they would be responsible for the extermination process. And uh, she was like, oh, okay. And do and, um, you have any more questions? No, that's it. And <laughs> that, that, that was that my question. first, yeah. that was my first <laughs> call. And I was like, what? what am I getting into here? That's oh. going to be interesting. <laughs> but that was the uh, the funniest question I've had. But um, yeah, that book, that's awesome. book on managing rental properties just taught me the process of how to get the right people in there and how to, how to run it like a business, how to, because a lot of landlords fail or a lot of investors fail because they don't treat it like a business. They, um, they treat it like a hobby. Like they don't, they don't understand the importance of getting the right people in there and how to actually keep track of all your expenses and keep files organized. Um, so yeah, it's just, it, it was eye opening to how important that was and the, and the things I need to do to optimize this, this asset. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, we appreciate you coming on, Zach. Um, if someone was in your area or just wants to learn more about you, because you put, you're pretty active on Instagram and you got a really inspiring story. And I know a lot of people relate to you, kind of where you were in your career, right? The fact that you had enough saved to go from 5% to 20% down is a huge testament to yourself. Um, you're, you're as well an agent. So if somebody want to work with you and understand numbers and understand how you were able to persist through, you know, looking at a hundred properties and still continuing, uh, where can people find out more about you? Yeah. So you can look me up on Instagram. It's Zach Midwood real estate. So Zach underscore Midwood underscore real estate. And we'll put that in the show notes for everyone. Yeah. And, um, yeah, and you can also reach me on my email at zachmidwood at gmail.com. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah, we'll, any, we'll, we'll, I mean, any, I'd love to help, um, like, I really like helping the, um, the person who is just below where I'm at now, the person looking for their first property. Yeah. And 
not really sure of the steps to take or where to begin. That's those are the people um, and what I what I found through um, the process of this first property is I love inspiring and, and motivating people, especially the ones just before where I'm at. Um, yeah. Cause that's where I was not just, just a little over a year ago, just going through the education phase and, and learning and taking in all this information. How do I actually, how do I actually do this? Yeah. Your so true testament to, uh, your true testament to taking action, you know, and, and just getting it done and persisting. So you, you have a, a really great, you really great story. And I know a lot of people will be inspired by it. Thank you. Yeah. Well, all right, Zach, we appreciate you coming on, man. You have a great day. Yeah. You too, guys. It was nice, nice chatting with you. Yeah, thank you, Zach. We appreciate it. We'll see you. Thanks for listening. If you could do me a huge favor and go give us a five-star rating on iTunes, I would really appreciate it. It would really help us out. If we provided any value, please go do that. Otherwise, there's a lot of people who haven't subscribed. So go ahead and go subscribe and you'll get notifications when a new podcast episode is released. Thanks again, everyone. Have a great day.